This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He played. Oh, he's the one. Bunty up the 10. Bunty up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Ishmael Johnson here always with Mike Craven in undisclosed location. Mike, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good, man. And joining us again, Mallory Hartley. Mallory, how are you? Doing well in another undisclosed location as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, I do want to, I want to ask you, is it, would you like producer Mal, Mal pal? You have a bunch of nicknames around going on the office. What's, 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 what, what do you want me to address you as officially? Well, I think most people now know me as Mal pal. Mal pal. So producer okay. Mal pal. Does that sound professional Ooh, Sure. You want, you want producer Mal pal? Combine them. Mal yeah. Powell, producer, producer, Mal Powell, whatever you want. Whatever you feel, you're <laughs> the host. You can call me whatever you want. I'll give you that liberty. <laughs> okay, okay. Producer Mal Powell, I'm going with that. That I one rolls it. off the tongue pretty well. I love it. All right. So uh, as you guys know, we're going to do our weekday previews, uh, picking games against the spread. But first and foremost, we got some news and notes. Nothing too major, but something pretty significant that I feel we should at least touch on. Um, I believe it was a couple days ago or yesterday, I believe, uh, recording this on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, I'm referring to. The NCAA Division I Council approved a waiver to help college football teams replace transfers. So as people know, every college team is allocated 25 scholarship slots every signing day. That's to distribute to high school players and transfers alike, 25 total. Well, the past couple of years, obviously, especially with the, the waiver for the one and done transfers, teams can teams can or uh, players can leave and you basically still have 25 slots and you could lose uh, way more players than you were planning on. Or, you know, some teams try to balance that out, try to project maybe and see, but you basically still have those 25 slots. Well, yesterday, the NCAA uh, Council approved seven up to seven slots used to use on other transfers. So what that means is you still have those 25 slots for high schools and transfers. But now if you need to replace up to seven spots with transfers only, this does not go to high school, uh, high school scholarships. You can now replace up to seven players with that. So I think this is, I think this is smarter than the NCAA, maybe a little bit too late in some cases, because I think last year was probably the big year we were going to see this. But regardless, I think this helps a lot of colleges catch back up because anybody who's covered recruiting or covered just uh, the beat of a college, especially when like a new regime takes over, you know, you have a massive uh, outflow of transfers of guys who don't want to play for you or just whatever reason leave. And especially now with the transfer waiver, you know, it's, it's a catch up process for like those first year, two, three years, even uh, where you're maybe taking on, you have to, you know, get some preferred walk-ons just to like get numbers back. Because I remember whenever Withers took over, it was about year three or four into the Jake Spavital era where they finally got up to like an 80 plus man roster. And because so many players just transferred year over year and eventually you just finally caught up, but I think this is a small step, but definitely one that I think was needed to mend 
some of the some of the uh, the, the recent transfer kind of uh, mania going on. Well, and after this year, there's going to be a whole lot of people leaving programs because the whole super senior allowed to come back. But there's really two grades leaving. So from my understanding, this is just kind of like a one year deal to kind of help right the ship and kind of right. reset because there's there's some teams out there that got 90 to 100 players on their team right now because a lot of people elected to come back and they signed re- full recruiting classes. You have some teams with 60 and 70 guys on the roster because so many people transferred and they didn't oversign last year. So I think this is just kind of like a one year wand wave to kind of let everybody get as close to that 85 scholarship limit as they possibly can, depending on how many people leave after this program, because with the super seniors and the seniors leaving, there's going to be so many spots up for grabs for transfers that I think this, this portal coming up may be the busiest one we've ever seen. Yeah. I think one of the other things that's been really confusing and it was confusing when we were putting the magazine together is which programs count that extra year of eligibility or not. I know that some, you know, you'll look at some roster and he's like, Oh, that this quarterback's a sophomore and they're a senior, right? Like it'll just be like, I don't know. That's going to be, that's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years when you see, you know, a guy stopping to play, uh, stopping football when he's a redshirt sophomore, just cause he's graduated. And he's like, ah, I'm not starting. And it's like, Oh, okay. There he goes. Um, but because he was an academic senior or he'd been on campus for three, four years and they still classified him as whatever. So there is definitely that, like, you know, you look at Alabama, for example, right. I think Bryce Young's technically counted as a freshman, but he's really a sophomore. And so like, you're going to see a lot of things like that kind of going on. And yeah, I, I agree definitely that we're going to see that kind of haywire transfer transfer uh portal this this offseason in particular just because there's like you mentioned 90 plus 100 plus players on some rosters because they didn't want to throw away a recruiting cycle just because they had extra guys back so all right uh that was pretty basically it for news and notes uh we're going to go ahead and get into our pick segment mallard if you want to take it away from here yes so we'll go ahead and get the buy game out of the way rice has a buy this week probably a very much needed by because next week they go to UTSA to play UTSA. So oh yeah, they're gonna have their eyes on that. They're gonna have their eyes on that Western Kentucky game this week. They're gonna be scouting that uh basically all of that game. So absolutely. Our first real game of the week, Houston at Tulane this Thursday, October 7th at 6 30 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN and Houston is favored by six. It's a short, um, week, yeah. short week for Houston um you know because they played on a friday last week now it's thursday so kind of two midweek games in a row i'm curious what that does to like uh your practice schedule you know that's two weeks in a row of not playing on saturday we'll see how you know that does how healthy they were coming out of that last game but it was such a blowout you know on the road road last week against tulsa that they probably got a lot of guys uh rest that they need to so uh favored this week tulane's not a very good uh team uh, to me, it's just about keeping Clayton Tune upright in the pocket. If they can, if they can block for him and not test that hamstring, the running game plus his ability to pass, I think is going to be too much for Tulane. Yeah, that's the that's the big concern on me when it comes to the short week is just his status. Because as you know, you know he has that lingering hamstring injury. I don't know if you remember that uh, players tribune piece. I think Richard Sherman did like three or four years ago that talked about the short week, what a Monday night game does to you um, heading into the next week. He just talked about a normal schedule and how your body's so regimented when it comes to recovery, practice, all this stuff, and then everything just gets shrunk. And so like one less day of recovery, one less day of this, immediately you know you get it's one day closer to contact practice. Right. And so like there is that like crunch time that 
especially when it, I, I'm pretty sure yeah, they'll obviously take care of Clayton Toon, but just that natural recovery process of having a full day off. Um, I'm curious what that does. Looking at Tulane a little bit, I mean, yeah, this is kind of this is really is not a good team. When when you look at what Willie Fritz has kind of done there in the past, I was looking up, they're averaging an entire yard less per carry than 2020 and 2019. This, you know, this is obviously a team that oh, Willie Fritz is a, a triple option guy. He doesn't really run the triple option there. It's more of a variation of it, but that's his history. And he wants to run the ball. They're not very good at it right now. Houston's rush defense has been really good. Even looking at that Navy game where they scared him a little bit, but it wasn't really prolific. They really didn't move the ball successfully against uh, Houston. It was more just the kind of grind out that they're kind of used to. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I think, I think this is a comfortable win for Houston. I'm not really concerned about this. This isn't one of those good two lane teams. I think Pratt is still pretty young as a quarterback and I don't think he's going to be good enough to take uh, advantage of that Houston defense. Moving on, probably the biggest game of the week, Texas versus Oklahoma this Saturday, October 9th at 11 AM. You can watch this game on ABC and the line is at three and a half OU is favored. And I really think this is a very winnable game for Texas. Obviously OU really hasn't, really lived up to expectations this year, especially in that quarterback category with Spencer Rattler. So I think Texas has a pretty good chance of, of coming away with a win. Yeah. And I think if you're a Longhorns fan, that's nerve wracking, right? Like I, I do feel like this is like, <laughs> this is building into, man, Texas has a real shot here. Oklahoma's down. This is like, you know, Texas is surging. You take away that Arkansas game. Look how good they've been. If they can just throw the ball, you know, Spencer Rattler has been struck. All of these things are being said <laughs> and like, the history of the rivalry in my lifetime leads me to believe that Oklahoma figures out a way to like turn it all on at the right time in this game. To me, this is all about the passing offense of Oklahoma versus the secondary of Texas. They haven't passed the ball down the field that much. And some of that is they don't have that number one outside wide receiver, you know, to kind of stretch the field like they have in the past. And some of that is their offensive lines is not very good, kind of similar to what we're seeing with Texas A&M to where it's not necessarily all the quarterback. A lot of it's just he doesn't have any time. So uh, if Texas can keep everything in front of them and, and eliminate the big pass plays, I think Texas does have a good chance here if they can run the football. If Oklahoma figures out how to get big plays out of their passing offense, I, I just think they outscore Texas on Saturday. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I want to say 08 is the only time where heading into this game evenly that Texas won. I want to say, because like even the, the LS, Sam Ellinger beating Kyler, like Texas, that was before Texas really hit its stride and went to the Big 12 title game. Heading into the game, OU was heavily favored. Um, of course, you can look back to the Chris Sims era, like that was, you know, that OU completely dominated those. And then the Vince Young era, Texas was heavily favored uh, in that national title uh, game. So I think, yeah, I want to say Texas has only come out with this game when they've both been very evenly matched once, which lends to you what you just said about you know it's kind of scary how like okay OU definitely looks like the vulnerable team I think for me this one comes down to which defense can get one stop because both I was looking up some stats and I'm going to credit uh CF CFB graphs on um on Twitter uh our good friend Parker who he put out a uh he does these pregame like tables uh with some advanced stats both Texas and Oklahoma's offenses are basically top in the country when it comes to what a stat that they call the echo rate. The echo rate is basically finishing drives in good field position, scoring touchdowns, right? Not field goals, finishing drives. Oklahoma's 19th, Texas is fifth. They both finish drives. 
And both defenses are bad at preventing other teams from finishing drives. And so I think what this game's going to come down to is which team gets holds the team to a field goal, right? Holds the team to something in the red zone because as you know, Texas, as we saw last week, if they get in the red zone, they're just going to give to Bijan and he's going to finish something. Casey Thompson, Casey Thompson can make the throw that went that to Jordan Whittington, right? Spencer Rattler, if you, if you don't, if he has time to throw, you mentioned the offensive line, if he has time to throw, he's going to kill you in the passing game. Oklahoma's weakness has been running the ball. They have not been able to run the ball as well as they have last year. Definitely not as well as they had the year before with Jalen Hurts. I think this is going to come down to if Texas can get that third, second, third down stop on against Oklahoma's rush defense, get him to third and long, make them really contemplate kicking a field goal. Because I think both these teams are also pretty aggressive at going forward in, in fourth and short situations. I think that's where this is going to be won. People t- can talk about the quarterback battle. Of course, Spencer Rattler's prone to mistakes. We know that. But to me, looking at what these teams' weaknesses and strengths have been, they're ve- I don't want to say they're the same, but they're very similar so far what we've seen offensively when it comes to the finishing drives and kind of combustibility too. As we saw against Arkansas, Texas is prone to mistakes and prone to stumbling over themselves too. Yeah, and then, you know, strength on strength when Texas has the ball. Oklahoma's run yeah. defense is pretty good. Yes. yes. And, uh, this, you know, next to Arkansas, this is going to be either the first or second best kind of front seven that they faced. They did not do very well the first time around. They faced a really good defensive front. So it'll be interesting to see which Texas comes out running the football. And then on the other side, it's can they create pressure with four people? Because mm-hmm. if they can drop seven and create pressure, you know, four on five against a depleted Oklahoma offensive line, they're going to have a lot of success if they need to start blitzing to create that pressure, or if they just sit back and let Spencer Spencer Rattler have a bunch of time. I don't, I don't trust the next secondary. And so to me, it's all about getting pressure on Rattler and the fewer guys they need to do that, the better it is for that secondary. Yeah. Oh, you uh, 17th in yard. Oh, uh, defense. I should say 17th in yards per attempt and only allowing 90.8 yards per game. So. This isn't your mama's uh, OU defense who uh, cost them national titles potentially a couple years ago. <laughs> Up next, we have Baylor versus West Virginia this Saturday at 11 a.m. You can watch this on FS1 and the lines at three. Baylor is favored. And you, you remember both teams coming off of really close losses last week. So definitely looking to rebound. I don't trust West Virginia's offense. Um, I know last week gave me pause about Baylor's offense, but what I saw last week was a West Virginia offense who, you know, was put in this tough situation early tech obviously went up early and I mean, they came back, but tech kind of let the handed them that game multiple times and they just couldn't take it. I, again, I think Jared Diggy's a good quarterback. I think he's fine, but for whatever reason, they haven't clicked offensively. And I, I don't think that, I mentioned uh, the finishing situations early. I don't think West Virginia finishes drives well. I just don't. I think they're the team that settles for field goals, and especially against Baylor, those field goals could turn into punts because they're probably getting pushed back a little bit more against a better defense. Um, Of course, we mentioned being, I don't want to say skeptical, but uh, last week's performance against Oklahoma State gave us a little bit of a scare for Baylor's offense. Oklahoma State's defense is a lot better than West Virginia's, and West Virginia has a good defense, but I think West uh, Oklahoma State's was a lot better. And so I want to chalk that up to facing a really good rush defense, which is what uh, Baylor did. And so I think Baylor recovers this pretty well. I think they went out right. 
I think they get back to doing what they're used to doing, which is just eating up the clock and giving Gary Bahannon those easy readable passes. Yeah. The thing that sticks out to me, uh, the over under on this game is 44 and a half. That's like an NFL mm. line. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a misprint, especially in a big 12 game with like right. the perception that happens with big 12 stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think I trust the Baylor offense more than the West Virginia offense, to your point. And so it becomes execution. You don't fumble the ball. Uh, you don't throw interceptions. You don't you don't lose special teams in a horrible way. I think Baylor is the better team, and they're at home. I kind of figured they'd be favored by more than three. I guess that, yeah. that loss at Oklahoma State last week, maybe people just aren't really trusting the Bears right now. For me, this is just an – if the offensive line can bounce back, you know, that's that's what we consider the strength of this Baylor team. If Abram Smith can have a big day, I think Mallory pointed it out last week. They had like 30-something yards going into the second half, like rushing the ball or whatever. I think they start fast, get on top of West Virginia, kind of do what Texas Tech did to West Virginia last week in the first half, and then just put the pedal to the metal in the second half. I think this is a bounce-back effort for Baylor, honestly. Yeah, same here. What next? What's next, Mallory? We've got SMU at Navy this Saturday at 2 30 p.m you can watch this game on cbssn and the line's at 13 and a half smu of course is favored and should be yeah i i mean i've said it before this isn't a good navy team i don't feel confident in them running the ball really again i mean last year i guess they put up they put up almost 30 last year but smu still almost won by 30 um i think this navy team's worse obviously smu's slightly regressed just from natural turnover but i think this is a very comfortable win for for smu um i don't see i don't see them really having any struggles in this game if i'm being honest with you yeah i mean unless they just like we talked about when houston played navy this can be a really weird kind of annoying system to play against defensively that can lead to a lot of points it can lead to long possessions where the offense is out of rhythm because they've only touched the ball two or three times in the first half. And all of a sudden it's like 10, seven at halftime and everyone's mm-hmm. wondering what's going on. So in that case, I can kind of see maybe keeping it close or maybe even covering if they were able to get it clicking and have those long possessions. Otherwise SMU is just way too explosive. Yeah. You know, Navy's going to need nine, 10, 11, 12 plays to score points. SMU is going to need one, two, three, four, five plays. So uh, that, that passing offense is clicking. Tanner Mordecai leads the nation in, in passing touchdowns with 24. I think they have a big week this week and they win by at least 20. I think the the one, th- I mean, Navy is starting to find something. I know they got a good win last week over UCF. Um, but even then, like I'm, I look at the numbers and I'm like, this still isn't an impressive Navy running performance. Like they rushed for, let me see. They rushed for 350, but they needed 76 attempts. And again, that's what Navy will they'll gladly do that. But like typically you want that upped up to about five and a half yards of carry, right? To be like, oh, this offense is actually working, as opposed to UCF, which they turned the ball over quite a bit. They weren't really they weren't really themselves. And then when you pile that on top of playing a team that won't let you have the ball, then it just kind of spirals. So I don't think SMU is that kind of team that's gonna, I mean, Tana Mordecai, as we know, just holds on to the ball, does not turn the ball over. And I think that when you compound that with the fact that SMU's defense is still pretty solid. I don't think there's room for Navy to really operate here. So I think that's going to be not close. (laughs) Up next, we have North Texas at Missouri this Saturday at 3 p.m. You can watch this game on SEC Network. The line's at 19. Missouri is favored. All right. I know. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. This is is your territory. 
<laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, of course, researching this game a little bit, this yeah. Missouri defense is just a basket case. I don't know if you've seen all yeah. the stuff that's come out this week, but early, like two or three days ago, Mizzou fired their defensive line coach. They're one of the worst defenses and actually the worst rushing defense in FBS, allowing 300 yards per game, which may be good news for UNT. Mm-hmm. The news came out today that Missouri, Mizzou's probably one of their best corners, Ennis, uh, is it? Rick Straw. Yeah, tore his ACL in practice and will be out indefinitely. Um, as you can tell from the SMU game, UNT can move the ball. They, mm-hmm. they, they put up a ton of yards on SMU's defense, so if they can get something rolling here, they may have a chance. Maybe. I do wonder. Hmm. Missouri can't play from behind either. All of their Fair losses, enough. they have fallen behind very early mm-hmm. to get a good start going. I think that won't matter. <laughs> I don't. Think. So, I so a little bit of behind the scenes, you know, our colleagues, uh, Greg Tepper and Ashley Pickle, of course, go went to these respective schools. Same with Mallory. Um, they're calling this the TFT Bowl or whatever, yeah. and I get why. Right, it's a fun thing, but. I don't know why Ashley would do that. I don't know why Ashley. Don't <laughs> Missouri's winning this game. I'm sorry. There's, there's uh, UNT. To me, that uh, until proven otherwise, that SMU game was an aberration to me. Until proven otherwise, because I think that UAB, especially after coming off of that SMU game. That UAB game was so dr- drastically in the other direction, right? right? And I think if UNT were to be a running team, potentially I'm looking at this differently. But they're a team that clearly wants to throw the ball a lot. Right. And so I feel like, yeah, if it, Missouri is a bad rush defense, they've played, I mean, they played some pretty okay offenses. I know t- Tennessee was a pretty good offense that they played last week. Um, Boston College is kind of whatever. Kentucky, they also lost to Kentucky, which is not great. Um, and they kind of led a, a FCS program. I forgot which one kind of put up 30 on them. So they're not a good defense. But I just feel like the thing that UNT is kind of good at is not really the thing that Seth Luttrell wants to do the majority of the time, which is running the ball. I think they're pretty okay at it. Um, and I think that when you're – I think he's going to try to put this in the hands of the quarterback. And I think that that's kind of where SMU is mediocre as opposed to bad. And I think that causes problems. Austin Ani was named the starter, by the way, mm-hmm. too, for this game. It's not Jace Ritter. Gotcha. This is a get right game, you know, but it's for Missouri to get, <laughs> to get right. That's why, the, that's why the SEC schedules these games in the middle of their conference season is to kind of have a little breather from the gauntlet that they all face. You know, a, a team that can't pass for over 100 yards against G5 competition is probably not going to be able to match up very well with SEC guys. I know Missouri is not the greatest team in the world, um, but they're better than North Texas. So uh, I would I would avoid this game at all costs if I was if I was thinking about gambling it because Missouri is bad enough for this to get weird and mm-hmm. to be like 35 to 24 in the fourth quarter and then you're sitting there wondering if they're going to cover but i don't think missouri ever like sweats losing once we get into the third fourth quarter right up next we have utep at southern miss this saturday at 6 p.m you can watch this game on espn3 and guys for the third week in a row utep is favored by how much how how long are we going to keep this going this is getting weird (laughs) Break up it's the getting minor. awesome. 
Yeah, break up the mind. <laughs> right, seriously, it's a too much of a pass. A juggernaut <laughs> in El Paso. Uh, <laughs> you know, we all have high hopes for UTEP. I know we're having a lot of fun with it and stuff. I mean, it really does feel kind of like the best minors team in a while. So mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of the first chance to really have fun with UTEP in a good amount of time. But this is another, you know, we talked about the old Dominion game last week being almost a must win. Um, this one feels that way as well, right? If they're trying to reach a bowl game and kind of reach those heights in 2021, you have to beat this Southern Miss team that just lost to Rice. I know you're, you're on the road and from El Paso, everything's a trip, right? I mean, that's a, that is a long journey from El Paso to Southern Miss, but, and they've been at home the last couple of weeks when things have been going right. So this is going to be a little bit of adversity for them, Uh, but Southern Miss stinks. I mean, they're just not. They're not very good. Their head coach is probably the funniest guy right now in college football. But other than that, uh, they don't have much going for them. So if they're trying to reach a bowl game, if they want to kind of get those, you know, uh, heights reached, they're going to have to win this game. I'm going to say this game is the let Gavin Hardison cook game because Southern Miss stinks. Their passing defense is atrocious. They are 101. They are 101st in passing yards per completion allowed. They are 129th just above Kansas in terms of passing percentage completion allowed and they're one tenth in passing yards per game allowed. I was doing some stats. Uh, I, was, I threw out some stats, I think either Mon- Sunday or Monday, I couldn't remember um, on UTEP's passing offense. And I mentioned how Gavin Hardison seems to be that boomer bust quarterback. I didn't realize how much that was on until I looked up the numbers. So UTEP is third in the country in yards per completion. They don't throw the ball. They run the ball majority of the time, but the only teams ahead of UTEP in that are Air Force and Army, teams that run the ball and then hit you over the top with something really for like 20 yards. Those are the only teams ahead of UTEP. They're also, let me see, eighth in yards per pass attempt. So when they look deep, they're when they look to pass, they're looking for the big play. I think this is a game to just let Gavin, Gavin Hardison go. I think Justin Garrett, Jake Cowing, those guys on the outside are going to have a field day. I really think we're paying attention to UTEP, but I think this is a game where you, people are going to look at the schedule. I think they're going to, I think UTEP might win big. And I think they, this one, this is the one that kind of gets people like, Oh, what happened here? Like I could see like a 38, 14 win. And it's like, wait, what happened there? And then you look and you're like, oh, UTEP's five and one. Look at that. Like, I think this is the game, if I'm being honest, that gets a little bit more people looking that way and saying, oh, this is actually something really interesting because this is like the perfect storm of an explosive offense versus a defense that can't stop really anything. So, But that can be a recipe for a letdown, right? Sure, there. sure. This isn't a UTEP program that's used to those type of expectations. And Mm -hmm. as much as we'd like to make it into a video game and these are unfilling robots going off to Southern Miss and like, that's just not how it works. These are young guys figuring out how to win and how to do that week in, week out. They've won two in a row. Everybody's patting them on the back, probably for the first time in a while. They feel like little celebrities on campus and stuff like that. Now you go on the road, you know, Southern Miss to Hasburg and it's just, you got to bring your game there, right? They're, you're, they're going to make you beat them. And so uh, back up against the wall, Southern Miss, I think UTEP needs to come out early. And if they play well in that first quarter, I think they do what you say and ride. Yeah. If for some reason Southern Miss can come out and kind of catch them sleepwalking and now it's 10 nothing Southern Miss going in the second quarter, we're going to find a lot out of, about yeah. UTEP. And I think the other thing is next week they get La Tech. 
which, you know, La Tech's a really explosive offense. Their only losses are to number 23, North Carolina State, SMU, and Mississippi State by one, two, and one point, two points, and one touchdown. So that's an offense that's, and then of course, if they win this game, they're looking at bowl eligibility. Is that a thing, right? Where it's like, oh God, you know, like the expectations start to pile on. And as much as, you know, Coach Dimmel would say, oh, it's one game at a time, things like that. You know, players read social media. Players are all this kind of stuff. So it's natural for them to also be thinking about this. So, yeah, I agree. That is definitely something to keep an eye on for. So, Have we mentioned the last time that UTEP did make a bowl game? I think it was 2014 or 15. I know it was Sean Kugler. Um, it might have been 14. Let me double check on this really quick. I, I don't want to say it was the Aaron Jones year. Uh, yes, 2014, okay. they went seven and six and they finished, they lost to New Mexico. No, wait, they lost to Utah State in the New Mexico Bowl, so. Okay, cool. Yeah, so this is the first time under, uh, since then, under, and definitely under uh, Dana Dimmel, so. El Paso, UTEP makes a bowl game, they get sent to New Mexico. They get sent to Albuquerque oh, or whatever. That's the worst, that'd be the worst. <laughs> I mean, they play New Mexico and New Mexico State every single season, you know? Right. Like, that's brutal. Let the mind travel. Let's go. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I want to take a quick pause real quick. Um, for okay. some reason, it says I'm running out of time on here. Uh, okay. So let's just go. Let's just do one more, and then I'm going to restart it for yeah. like a 30-minute thing, and then I'll cool. just splice them together. That works. So, cool. Okay. All right. What's next? Up next, we have UTSA at Western Kentucky this Ooh. Saturday at 6 p.m., watch this game on stadium and western kentucky is favored by three and a half points i really right. think i'm gonna throw my two cents in here because i yes, watched absolutely. the whole western kentucky game last week the key to this game i think is to put as much pressure as you can on bailey zappy force them to run the ball because the hilltoppers their running game ranks 122nd in college football mm. so if they can force the hilltoppers to run the ball think it'd be a good chance of maybe come out with a win yeah i think that's a good that's that that's going to be the game i mean that don't there's no doubt that's what jeff trailer's teaching his team i yeah. think that when people we've talked about western kentucky before because of their quarterback bailey zappy um of course former houston baptist quarterback him zach kitley uh the offensive coordinator and wide receiver jared stearns all came from houston baptist they just plucked him out and just took him to western kentucky this is a very throwback air raid offense this is very much four five wide every single possession let bailey zappy have this the the the, the lay of the field and like they want they can hit you with the short route intermediate route they'll absolutely take anything be- between the first down marker this is definitely gonna i th- i think this is gonna be a little bit of both i think you're gonna have to utsa is gonna have to let them get what they get for a lot of the game this could be a game where bailey zappy ends up with 480 yards passing and Jeff Trailer's like, yeah, but he only had one or two touchdowns, mm-hmm. right? I think that's going to be one of those games. And let's put it this way. There's been no one that stopped this offense so far, right? <laughs> they played Michigan state, they played Indiana and they've put up the same numbers. And it's just about what Michigan state uh, last week did. It's just about holding them when they're really cooking. Okay. Red zone have to hold them to a field, goal, right? It's really about those, when they run out of room, which is always the, the the Achilles heel of these air raid offenses, when they get in the red zone, they're still lining five mm-hmm. wide. That's less room for those receivers to right. run around. 
of course, somebody like Mel Tucker did uh, really capitalize on that last week. And so that's going to be the key is it's that bend don't break mentality, right? Let them get their yards. Don't give up touchdowns. Yeah. From the 25 to the 25, you just kind of, you got to survive that. You know, you hope they drop a couple passes, get a couple penalties that puts them behind schedule, maybe throw an interception or two. I would say you, you kind of force them to run, but I don't even know if you can. Like, I, I don't, I think they'll I just pass. They'll just still pass. <laughs> I don't even know if they try because they look at their short passing game as an extension of the running mm-hmm. game. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they see that as the same thing. And so if you're to UTSA, like you said, once you get to like the red zone, then you have kind of an extra pair of safeties back there at the end of the field, to kind of keep them in front of you to go on the opposite side of the ball. The offensive UTSA really has to help the defense. Like this is up to, this is one of those, like in Memphis, like the Memphis game, this is a sincere McCormick. We're going to have to put this on your yeah. back. And we're going to have to limit the amount of possessions there are in this game. You get into the second half and you hope you wear them down that way. Because if you can force Western Kentucky into a couple quick three and outs, the way that they do offense, you can get the ball back really quick. Um, so you just got to grind it out. Frank Harris needs to have a clean game. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to match Zappy's numbers. I think that's an important thing to think of when he's going in. He doesn't need to match the play of the other offense. He just needs to not give them any extra possessions. And then this is one of those where the offensive line, where since Sam McCormick, Brendan Brady, those guys really need to dominate this game and allow the defense as much time, not only to rest, but to kind of figure out what's happening. Like the more time on the sideline, not only do you get a breather, but your coaches kind of get to let you know of some of the tendencies and some of the things that are going on. Uh, so for UTSA, it's just not to get shell-shocked early. And yeah. Western Kentucky is one of those offenses that can come out and they can be up 14, 21, nothing the way Memphis was to UTSA. You're not going to catch up to Western Kentucky. You know, Memphis, Memphis is going to let you back in the game because of the way they play. Western Kentucky is going to put up 70 on you. So they need to come ready to play. UTSA hadn't played well early in the last couple of games. They need a good first quarter here. I think that's why I'm leaning Western Kentucky, if I'm being honest, because the only thing is Western Kentucky, I, I don't know. Their, their schedule's been so tough to start mm-hmm. the year. I mean, outside of Tennessee Martin, they did Army, Indiana, Michigan State. And so I don't know how, how much those bad defensive numbers are just them going against teams that they probably shouldn't be going against in ter- when you're looking at to evaluate them. That, first of all, that obviously means their offense is really good if they've still been producing numbers, but their defense basically ranks near the bottom in most categories. But again, I don't know how much you can take from them playing against those teams. I do know, I do can, I feel like I can take away that they are vulnerable defensively, yeah. which that's where, you know, the sincere McCormick thing kind of comes into play. Can you keep them off the, can you keep that offense off the field a little bit more? Can you give, maybe this is one of those games where he gets 30 to 35 touches, um, you know, and, and you've kind of saved him throughout the season for that kind of thing. So I think so. I was looking at some numbers here, Western Kentucky's fourth in passing attempts per game. They almost average 50 a game, which is kind of nuts in this era of college football, no matter who you are. Uh, UTSA, average they are 32nd in passing percentage allowed or about just below 57 percent allowed the thing that's going to get utsa i think is they are 114th in passing yards uh allowed per per completion almost 15 yards per completion so i think that i think jeff trailer knows his team's weaknesses obviously and i think that he's gonna that number is gonna go up a little bit but not i think that's gonna be more or less by design i think he's gonna say let let's let them have let them get what they want. Don't let anything behind you. Keep this in front of you. You know, have Rashad Wisdom patrolling the the middle of the field and let them kind of get what they want because 
yeah, if this if this does turn into 14, 17, 3, uh, Western Kentucky, this probably could get ugly because this is a team that, I mean, as, as fast as they move and as much as they throw the ball, they can control the clock with that, right? That's kind of the genius of those air raid teams is that they can control the clock in the game with their passing. So um, I'm really excited for this game. This is going to be the game, I mean, spoiler alert, that I'm going to be paying attention to because uh, I think this is going to be UTSA's second big test of the year. And I think this is going to be Western Kentucky's probably first big test in terms of their own pedigree, where they are. Um, yeah, exactly. Their level. And I know Mallory, uh, like you, you watched them last week, frustratingly against Michigan state, just kind of hang around. <laughs> and I, I don't think I was really expecting that either. I mean, yeah, they're a conference USA team. Usually that doesn't mean much to these big 10 teams, but mm-hmm. that's a scary Western Kentucky team. And that Bailey Zappi, of course, Houston Baptist's old quarterback. Shout out Victoria a, East. <laughs> yeah. He is a good player. Good player. Going to put up a lot of yards, I think on this UTSA team. On paper, this may be a tougher matchup for that defense than the Memphis and Illinois offense yeah. was, just, just based on what they do really well and kind of what UTSA struggles, and that's that's kind of deep down the field passing. So, you know, strength on weakness there, and it's just a matter of coming up with a few interceptions or a couple stops at key times. Up next, we have Texas Tech versus TCU this Saturday at 6 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN, and TCU is favored by one and a half. Yeah. Uh, anxiety bowl part two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think both of these teams, even despite tech, uh, winning last week, I think every week is kind of, I don't want to say hot, hot seats a little too strong, but definitely like, you know, eyes kind of looking around if you're, t- if you're tech and Matt Wells, um, and TCU, I think you're starting to have some, uh, kind of questions about the direction of the program under Gary Patterson. It sounds weird to be saying that, but, I think last week, you know, it was always the thing that he had was beating Texas, right? And I think that as you go down the list, at first, the thing that Gary Patterson always had was elite defense. Okay, that's gone. Well, he's kind of always just made a bowl game. Okay, well, that's starting to go away. He's kind of always beaten Texas. That's gone away. And so when you kind of have all of those things start to erode, you're kind of wondering where you're at as a program. When you're Texas Tech, I mean, we all we we knew heading into the season they were going to be have questions about whatever they're doing. Um, I think I trust TCU more, regardless, because from both the good and the bad I've seen, I still think the good is there with TCU if they were just stick with a game plan. I think if they were just stick with Zach Evans, let Max Duggan make throws when he needs to, protect him just enough, I think that's good enough. I don't know if Tech's offense. They were good last week against uh, West Virginia when they, especially early and then late when they had to kind of uh, get back into it. But they were good. They don't have to be great. I don't know if it's enough to completely take advantage of a bad TCU defense like they've we've seen the past couple of weeks. The mischievous person in me wonders if Gary Patterson is going to give Zach Evans the ball forty-five times or five. <laughs> you know. Because he, I feel like he has been answer, asking or answering that question a few times over the last couple of weeks, and it's going to be one of those things where he runs him to the ground to prove a point, or he right. doesn't give him the ball very much to prove. Yeah, we actually get sideline footage of him throwing up in the third quarter. <laughs> right. um, jokes aside, there's a reason at 18 years old is when you graduate high school and you kind of move away. You know, like what you've you've gotten the same messaging 
for 18, 19, 20 years, you're ready to go figure something else out. I think yeah. Matt Brown ran into that at the end of his tenure at Texas. And, and I do feel like Gary Patterson is running up against that now where kind of his unquestioned kind of status at TCU. I mean, he already has a statue outside of the stadium. Yeah, It was unquestioned for years, right? Gary Patterson knows best. Look at where this program was before he got here. Look at it where it is now. He can do no wrong. That's starting to fade a little bit. That 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 shine's starting to fade a little bit. TCU's kind of wondering where they're going as a football program. Does it get better from here? How is it going to get better? What are the, you know, kind of concrete things we can touch and feel and know that it's going to get better? Losing to Tech here and that being a loss to SMU, a loss to Texas, and then a loss to Tech, that's that's a big deal and, and one that kind of leaves – TCU in this weird spot because the Big 12 is no longer going to pull recruits just because it's the Big 12. Now you're losing to your in-city rival. Now you're losing to your in-state rival. And now you're losing to the other Big 12 program out in West Texas. And so it's going to be harder and harder to get guys to Fort Worth uh, the way it has in previous years. And so I think this is a very big game for TCU. Now on the flip side for Texas Tech, I think Matt Wells and Texas Tech can kind of put it all to bed with a win here, right? Like if you... You beat TCU, now you're really rolling. You point to that Texas game as, look, they're really good. We were at UT. They have a Hall of Fame running back there. They scored 70 points. What are you going to do? Um, I think this is one of those games where Texas Tech can really feel good about themselves, and they're catching a TCU team at the exact right time. Mm. I kind of lean Texas Tech here. I know I've kind of mm. leaned Texas Tech a lot this year. I think I, I lean Texas Tech here because I, I think they suffered their scare last week and they bounced back and they handled it well on the road, I think they're going to play even better this week. Henry Columbia's got another start under his belt. I, I think it's going to be a really good game for the Red Raiders. I, I, I agree that it could be one of those either-or Gary Patterson games when it comes to Zach Evans because part of me wants to – part of me believes that this will be the Zach Evans game, right? The, the game that, like, he gets the 30 carries, he gets 200 yards – blows away tech everyone's like look see told you boom and then all of a sudden he gets he gets the workload that we probably he probably should be should have been getting but like you know gary's an unpredictable guy right <laughs> this could be a game where max duggan has 35 40 attempts passing and two picks and a fumble because they couldn't protect him or whatever and it, it, after even saying that the worry for me is defensively right i don't henry columbia is a good backup quarterback and as we're seeing with a, as we'll talk about with a game later on having a good backup quarterback not even great a good dependable somebody who can just not turn the ball over move replicate somewhat of the same offense and move the ball that's henry columbia that's what he did last year that's what he proved against west virginia he has a pretty decent arm is it enough to take advantage of a bad tcu defense I don't know. Everybody's done it, but I'll get, but then again, a lot of these good quarterbacks have done it. I don't, we don't, we haven't really seen a bad or a kind of a average quarterback take advantage of them. It's been guys like Tanner Mordecai, guys like Tate Casey Thompson, who we know we can move, can move the ball. I, I mean, that to me, that's the question mark, right? Is going to be this secondary because I mean, this year were Trayvon Merrigan, Ardarius Washington, is that just that good? Like, what is that? It, like the, the cliff they've fallen off of, right? were those two guys just the absolute linchpins of this all of this defense that's completely fallen off without them I, I i mean it's looking like it because i thought uh hodges tomlinson would be good for them i thought tj carter would be able to slide in pretty well and they haven't they've gotten torched and so 
I, I don't know. I, I'm still sticking with TCU because I do think this is a, I don't get right games wrong just because they're not, this isn't that type of caliber of opponent, but I do think this is kind of a steering moment for TCU to be like, all right, we know we have good players on this team, right? We talked about that last week. We know they have good wide receivers. They have a good running back offensive line. Sure. is Shaky, but I think in running and uh, run blocking, they can be pretty good. I think this is one of those situations where they turn the corner they give the ball to Zach Evans finally, as Gary Patterson's acknowledged, he needs to do more. He, uh, I think he said he wasn't going to give it as much as Bajan, but he was definitely going to give him more than 15 or whatever is what he is like, basically what he said. So I think this is a game that really breaks out Zach Evans into the national spotlight instead of just, hey, look, remember that guy that fell down to TCU who was a five star. I think this is like, oh, here's here is the introduction to the rest of the country to this guy who should be doing this at the highest stage in college football. So I'm sticking with TCU. It would not shock me if Texas Tech just completely continues to drive the stake in. And like you said, at that point, you're looking at three losses to Texas schools and then Baylor coming up, which probably they're going to win too. So it's, uh, yeah, it could get bad. Next, we have Texas State versus South Alabama this Saturday at, I believe, I didn't put the time down here. I believe it's at 6 p.m. as well. Um, you can watch this game on ESPN Plus, and South Alabama is favored by three and a half. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm, I'm electing no one's going to want to volunteer to talk about this game first, or is this going <laughs> to? This is all <laughs> you. Nobody's going to volunteer to watch this. Watch this game. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I look, it's after a bye week. Um, this should be the rally game, right? This should be the game. It's like, look, terrible losses back to back by week chance to rally around each other. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, the thing to me is I don't know how healthy this team is, right? We told this, this team was missing 20 has basically missed 24 to 20 to 25 players for the past two weeks. And, you know, I know we talked about how disappointing that you, obviously the UIW loss was and the Eastern Michigan loss. I mean, the injuries didn't play a non-zero factor. It wasn't a big factor. It was, they got out coached, they got out played things like that, but it played a non-zero factor in terms of depth. I don't know how healthy they are now. I don't know if that matters or not. Um, I don't think I have the confidence to pick against them, uh, to pick against uh, uh, South uh, South Alabama, I should say, because as much as this defense impressed me in the first couple of weeks, that just went away in those, in those two losses. Um, it looked like a team that was kind of patched together when it came to stopping the pass. Uh, I mean, Cameron Ward, we talked about as a talented quarterback, but he was able to move the ball with ease. Uh, Eastern Michigan's quarterback, I forgot his name, able to move the ball with ease. They could not stop the run for the life of them. And I think that the offense, the thing that's really going to settle this game for me is where Southern Miss's defense is actually pretty good is in the red zone. They hold teams to field goals, right? They're a fourth. I mentioned that echo rate earlier uh, in the podcast. They're fourth in the nation in stopping those drives from being touchdowns. Anything inside the 40, they don't let happen. They're allowing two, two points. Let me see, 2%, sorry, 2% of their points to, to be converted to touchdowns. Granted, that might be level of competition. That could be whatever, but they're a really elite defense in terms of stopping teams from scoring uh, uh, when they get in these scoring positions. They're 22nd in passing uh, completion allowed, which again, Texas State, they're, they're going to want to throw the ball. I don't know. 
I don't know, because if they lose this game, I don't know the direction Texas State goes in because I don't, the schedule doesn't get much easier from here. Yeah, I mean, it feels like if they're going to win one and turn this around this season, it has to start this week or it just kind of snowballs away from them. Um, you would hope the off week allows some of those players to get back. Maybe not all of them, but you know, hopefully that they have as healthy of a roster as they've had um, since that FIU game. And to me, what stood out to Texas State is the things that they did to win the FIU game, they have not done since. Mm-hmm. You know, like they tackled well in that game. They won the red zone battle in that game in terms of – Or even of the, the Baylor game. Right. Um, they were getting turnovers. Um, you know, they were being opportunistic. They were doing a lot of things that you knew you need to do to win football games, to be a scrappy, good football team. And then it feels like as soon as that Incarnate Word game happened for, you know, probably a variety of reasons – they just haven't done any of those things well. The red zone defense has been bad. The secondary hasn't tackled at all. Um, the offense has turned the ball over a little bit too often. You know, a lot of fumbles, even the ones that they've gotten back, they're just putting the ball on the turf too much. So they're going to have to play a clean game. You know, this is a pretty even game in terms of, like, talent on the roster if if all things are equal. So if, if they're healthy enough to compete, it's just going to be a – they just need to play a clean game. No turnovers, no big plays, tackle, do what you're supposed to do. It's as simple as that. They just haven't done the the small things very well in San Marcos in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned the the injuries and things like that. I mean, they're they're partially COVID related too. And I think mm-hmm. one thing that's kind of getting because of how poorly the team's playing, I think their poor mismanagement of that situation is something that's kind of being not looked at enough, in my opinion. Um, this is a team that is having COVID issues in a year where most teams aren't <laughs> and you know why are you the unique situation that loses 20 plus players to contact or whatever and you know that's obviously affecting you on the field because you don't have guys suited out so um i don't know again you you guys know me i could go on this for an hour but i'm not going to subject anybody else to that so <laughs> and to round it all out texas a&m takes on alabama at home this saturday at 7 p.m you can watch this game on cbs Alabama is favored by 17 and a half points, which doesn't surprise <laughs> me after watching them destroy Ole Miss. <laughs> I got a, I got a question for both of you. How many times so far under Jimbo Fisher, it's been three games that they played Alabama under Jimbo Fisher. How many times has Alabama won by less than 18? Zero, right? Yeah. It's zero. <laughs> Give me Alabama. <laughs> Give me Alabama minus 17 and a half. So it goes 45, 13, 47, 28, and 52, 24. And Jimbo had that kind of luncheon thing this offseason where they asked him, you know, like until Sarah, you know, other than Saban retiring, how do you win the SEC? And he said something like, well, we're going to beat his ass while he's still there or something like that. And That's right. I completely forgot about that. Nick Saban remembers everything. everything. Right? Like that every single slight ever towards Nick Saban or Alabama football is used. And so you're telling me a team on a two-game losing streak without a consistent quarterback and an offensive line is about to play Alabama. I mean, that's that's about as bad of a recipe. I mean, it's not good even when things are going well. You don't want to play Alabama. Right. Those things are, are not good things because no matter how good your defense are, they're going to score. I mean, they got mm-hmm. five-star talents everywhere. Their offensive linemen look like monsters. Like it, it's a super force of a football team, and they're catching A and M at a time where they're they're not right at all. And yeah. that offensive line is going to 
you know, and maybe this makes them better in the long run. You know, this is maybe one of those things you talk to Bryce Foster in a couple of years doing a feature story. And he's like, that Alabama game as a freshman really grew me up or whatever. Uh, but it's going to be a long day uh, for the offensive line because they've struggled with teams that aren't as good along yeah. the defensive line. Alabama's got all future first round, second round draft picks up there. It's going to be a learning process for a lot of people. And it, it's keeping it within 18 is going to be a win. If this is a 17 point mm-hmm. loss, I think you feel pretty good about that. And uh, just the expectations we had for AM prior to that Colorado game mm-hmm. to the expectations we have now for AM are just so drastic. Like it's just such a stunning development for me. Like this game was circled on everybody's calendar mm-hmm. all year, you know, like even all spring, all summer. Um, CBS even puts it as the primetime game a couple weeks ago, because why mm-hmm. not? Why wouldn't you? Right. Uh, when you flash forward to now and it, it doesn't even, it feels like one that Aggie fans would love to just kind of like skip through. I think if you yeah. like truth sermed everybody covering A&M or everybody loving A&M, they'd kind of just like to skip till Monday and just kind of move on. Uh, whereas this was circled and this was supposed to be kind of a, let's show the world where our program is game. And so um, the fact that it's just it took a quarterback injury and one graduating class on your offensive line to turn it around that much should kind of be a concerning thing in College Station, in my opinion. Yeah, and those scores I rattled off, I mean, that's that's with the best quarterback not named Johnny Menzel that AM's had in a while, right? And so, like, and a really good offensive line, and a really good offensive line, and the basically the 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 pieces of what we construct of this defense now, right? And they still didn't matter. Like, this was supposed to be quote unquote, the year to get Bama, right? You lose Mac Jones, you lose those receivers, you lose that defense, right? You lose, or some of that defense. And obviously they replenish, but it was still like, okay, well, this is still not Bama at full force, right? But what happens? Bryce Young steps in. And I don't know if you've seen Bryce Young's numbers. They are video game-like because Mm -hmm. I'm looking at, he's on the season, 73% completion. That's nuts. Uh, Against Miami, 71%. Florida was his worst game at 63%. Mississippi, Southern Southern Miss, again, not good, but 91% completion against Southern Miss and then 77% completion against Ole Miss. I don't know what you do with that, right? If you're, this is a game where, and we, we talk about protecting Zach Calzada and, you know, running the ball a little bit more. You, you better run the ball more because you yeah, got to keep yeah. that offense off the field. You got to protect the defense is going to be good, right? They're going to get some stops, right? This is just, that's just the nature of the defense. I think they're talented enough to get some stops against Alabama, but you're not going to want to have them out there every single time. And if you, if you come up throwing as much as they've been throwing, you're going to have three and outs and you're going to get that defense embarrassed because I, I didn't really understand how much AM's been going away from the run until I looked at it. So they're 20th in yards per carry, 5.3. Good, right? It, that, that is a good running team. Every other team above them, Texas is seventh at 5.9, right? So they're in the range of other good running teams. They are 106th in rushes per game. That is unacceptable. For and context, Isaiah yeah. Spiller too. I mean, you have, you have two good running backs, Devonna Chan. Yeah. For, for some context, UTSA, 49th and we talked about how much they're not uh sorry uh you said his fifth with 49 attempts per game and we talked about how much they're saving sincere mccormick by not going over that amount like that's just some context to show like you have talented running backs and he's still insistent on 
his style of football, whatever. And that's going to get, that's going to get you embarrassed if you come out with that exact same game plan this weekend. I just, I don't, I, think, I don't think he trusts his offensive line. That's, I, I yeah, think, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I don't think he trusts him to the point where he hasn't even run the football, but I agree with you. the last couple of games. You look at them, they weren't being blown out and they abandoned the run. You know, yeah. they, they were within a possession of Arkansas. They were in a possession of Mississippi state for large portions of that game. And they just completely abandoned running the football. And that's poor play calling. And it's just having a mistrust in your offensive line. The thing that scares me for AM in this game is no matter how good your defense is, Again, we're all humans here. You start looking at that scoreboard and it's 14 nothing, and then it's 21 nothing, and your offense just isn't doing anything at all. And you know, it, it, just, it, just, it snowballs on you. And yeah. it's, this feels like what that Georgia Arkansas game looked like last mm-hmm. week, where it's just going to look just like an overmatched, just overwhelmed football team going up against a, a team that's just on a different level. Because Alabama and Georgia right now are playing different sports than everyone else. I was going to say like that, that as kind of a closing to this, to the show, I guess, you know, obviously we wanted to look at AM and Texas losing Arkansas in the fashion that they did in saying that Arkansas is probably really good. And I still think that they are right. But I think what those losses show even more is the chasm between where AM kind of wants to be, right. They want to be with the Georgias and the Alabamas. And I think that you look at those two teams, I mean, even Clemson's fallen off. I mean, their offense is atrocious right now and you kind of, I mean, Ohio State's kind of lingering there, but they're still not looking great either. And so it's kind of every year a two to three sport uh, year at the top, at the very top, and everybody else kind of in the middle. And I think this is a year where even AM's kind of down from that middle bunch because we're looking at Arkansas punching up to that second tier and potentially Texas. I don't know, right? We'll see what this weekend happens against Oklahoma, who I think is in that middle bunch. But, you know, it shows how much there is still to go despite what we expected from them. We kind of thought, okay, cool. They got their head coach, got the recruiting classes. They got their expectation. Boom. Let's rock and roll. But then it's like, well, no, here's the difference, right? Alabama doesn't have these years, with the offensive line, right? They don't have a year where Bryce Foster and Ruben father are starting and they're true freshmen and they're kind of getting bullied. It's like, they might have one freshman, and then they just supplant them with upperclassmen who've just been waiting in the wings, right? Five stars that have been waiting in the wings. And they're, and so it's like, you have a sophomore, you have a bunch of sophomores, maybe that's their re, quote unquote reload year. A Bryce Young comes in, but he was sitting behind Mac Jones last year. He was just waiting for his turn. He's not fresh blood. And so they don't have these massive turnovers that we saw from AM this year that we just kind of thought would work. Cause we we're like, ah, oh, they're five stars. It'll be fine. But you know, they're still, they were still playing at Katie Taylor and, and Richmond Foster last year. Right? Like, It's why we don't need an expanded playoff because there's not, there's not more than four good teams in a given year of college football. Everybody is around, you know, you, there's tiers and there's usually yeah. two or three teams in the top tier. And then there's about 15 teams in the next tier, you know, and like, there's, there's just point. no, there's just no need for it. Like, does anybody need to see Alabama, Florida again? That was as close as right. that was going to get yeah. That's as good as Florida is going to play Alabama um once Nick Saban decided I'm going to play with an explosive quarterback and get a better quarterback than the rest of you it ended it was done the 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 landscape of of the sport changed because they were always better everywhere else they just were pretty average at quarterback now he's got Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts and Tua and, and now Bryce Young 
I mean, they're just, they're a killing machine, man. There's no other way to say it. They're just a, they're just a dominant, dominant force. And now you look at somebody like a Clemson who, you know, they're still across the board. They're still pretty good, but they just replaced the quarterback. And there goes the offense, right? They replaced Trevor Lawrence with generic four or five-star quarterback. And oh, they're, you know, when they don't have that transcendent talent, right? Like a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson, you get a Kelly Bryant year, right? Who's like, yeah, they're good but there's a weakness there, right? You get a Taj Boyd here who's like, he's good, but you're not going to beat up on the top team. So. And I think the thing Nick Saban does better than Dabo or maybe anybody else in college football is he gets offensive coordinators in there that are on the front foot and who are, are like really push what he even believes in as football. People you know, laughed like, at Bill O'Brien going there. Bill O'Brien was a decent offensive, a really good offensive coordinator. That guy is an offensive genius, right? Yeah. And Nick Saban brings in those guys year. Lane Kiffin, Sark, like he just brings them in year after year and says, look, I give up. Let's do this offense that scores the 80 points and my defense will take care of everything. Right. I don't know if Dabo's done that. I think Trevor Lawrence being at Clemson allowed them to kind of stay with what they've been doing. They woke up from a four-year slumber with Trevor Lawrence, three-year slumber with Trevor Lawrence, and said, oh, offense has kind of passed us by a little bit, and now they're having to play catch-up. Yeah, and I know that uh, wrapping this back up to Am, I know that's what Am I to do. Right? Jimbo is that offensive guy, right? So they just said, put him in charge of the whole thing. Mike Elko watches over the defense. We'll kind of, I think they're kind of having that image of what Saban's doing with offense, with defense, right? Mike Elko might get a job this offseason, just replace somebody on that end. The difference is, the recruiting domination just kind of hasn't really manifested, right? We kind of expected Haynes, uh, Kellen Mond to transition to Haynes King and China, and they would upgrade from there, right? They just, they'll hopefully sign uh, Connor Wigman to be that next guy in line. So is that the start of what AM's, what, what Alabama's doing to, uh, for AM? I don't know. But all I do know is Alabama doesn't have these kind of resets that AM's having this year. And it kind of, again, I mentioned it, it kind of shows where AM still has to go. And, you know, the reason why we're criticizing them this much is because they signed this guy to an extension, right, on top of his already lucrative contract. And so this is hit, this is this is the standard that that contract says that they want to get to. They want to get to Alabama, Georgia status. And this is the money that we're giving them. And they should, you know, if they have the money, sure, you should this should be your aspirations. This shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be saying, oh. Uh, if they can hold them within 18, that'll be great. Like this is, you're hoping to beat them. And so um, holding them to that standard to me, isn't unfair. Yeah, it's, it's what they signed up for. It's what they want. A&M wants to be, they, my whole lifetime, A&M's wanted to be in those discussions, you know, mm-hmm. maybe since the early nineties, eighties, A&M hasn't been in those discussions. This was supposed to be the year where they really broke through that glass ceiling. That's kind of kept them back. And they haven't done it. And with the news that Texas is also joining the SEC, Oklahoma is also joining the SEC, um, recruiting is about to pick up even more than it already has. And perception is a huge, huge thing right now. And Alabama can only sign 25 a year. Well, plus now the seven for the transfer rule for a year. Um, But they just get to pick and choose. And the difference between signing six five stars and signing the occasional one five stars is that every year on your roster, you got 15 of those guys. So if one or two busts, it's not that big of a deal. You're going to have another five star in place. Right. If you're A&M and both of your five star guys on your campus bust, well, now where are you at? And Mm -hmm. Texas went through that for a decade. They're still kind of going through that a little bit, but John Robinson looks like the real deal. But if you're kind of guy you're banking on all like a Garrett Gilbert or something like that does not work out. It can tailspin your program 
because frankly, nobody other than Alabama and maybe now Georgia has enough horses to kind of replace those guys without taking a huge step back. Yeah. And when you're AM, you know, something like the SEC was very unique to you, right? Because Alabama and Georgia, they can recruit just by being Alabama and Georgia. Mm-hmm. And in this state, sure, you can kind of sort of recruit just off being AM or Texas, but AM had that pull from Ella, from Louisiana, from Atlanta area for being like, oh, they're also in the SEC. We can go over there too. Now you get two other powerhouses that get that too. So you lose that uh, level of uh, recruiting advantage. What, what does that mean? I don't know. I still trust Jimbo as a recruiter, but Sark has a hell of a bunch of recruiters that he hired away, um, including uh, Jeff Banks, who was there at AM at one point too, um, who know how to handle that type of uh, that pressure too. So um, all that's to say, hope you don't lose by 18, I guess, basically <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to wrap that up. That. Yeah, Alabama exactly. and the points. Alabama and the points. Probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, that'll do it for us this week. We will see you guys on Sunday for our recap episode. Have a good one.